We're going to be in Matthew 13 this morning. And Bridge Kids, you're dismissed. Matthew 13. If you need a Bible, our ushers could pass out a Bible. If you're new to the bridge, uh, we're going to use the Bible every week. We encourage you to bring your own or feel free to grab one as you come in. Just make that your habit. Just grab one when you come in. And uh, if you want one, just raise your hand. Our our ushers have a handful. Nobody wants a Bible. Okay, here we are. It's good. Every week we're going to be, this week we're going to be in Matthew 13. That will not be on the screen. Uh, We'll use scripture that support what we're doing this morning. We'll put that on PowerPoint this morning. But uh, our main study will be uh, right from the text. So we want to encourage you to follow along in the Bible. If you're using one of the Bridge Bibles, page 678. We have two different kinds floating out there, and the other page is 983. This series is called Secrets of the Kingdom, and we'll show you why we entitle that in a couple of minutes. Matthew 13. Matthew 13 is a standalone passage. It's a whole section about parables, all right? In 2008, the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life released a study entitled the U.S. Religious Landscape Survey. Over 35,000 adults uh, were interviewed. They concluded, the survey concluded, that America is constantly shifting amid religious choices. You're probably not surprised, okay? 44% of those surveyed said they've abandoned their religious upbringing from their childhood. That may not surprise you. 12% said their religious identity is nothing in particular. Maybe that doesn't surprise you. Here's the deal. Those who do surveys say this is amazingly significant. The co-author of the study, John Green, says fluidity is the rule today, not the exception. There is a greater diversity and greater movements, a quantum leap in the rate of change as it relates to religious life in America. According to a study done by LifeWay Research, 70% of young adults drop out of Protestant churches. Uh, By the way, this is a Protestant church. There's all kinds, but 70% are dropping out. 34% never return to church after the age of 30. Those who were surveyed asked to give reasons why they dropped out of church. And so they were able to choose more than one reason why they dropped out. And so the total is going to add up to more than 100%. 27% wanted to to break from church. Maybe you felt like that sometime. 26% found the church members judgmental or hypocritical. That can be a problem. 25% moved away to college and never came back to church. 23% were too busy at work to be involved in church. 20% felt disconnected from people at church. 18% disagreed with the church on political and social issues. 17% said they only went to church before because somebody in their family made them go. Maybe you felt that before. Here's the deal. Some people are receptive. This is what I want you to get. Some people are receptive to God's word. Some people are not. Some people are receptive to spiritual things. Some people are not. Some people are responsible to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and some people are not. Matthew 13 gives, Jesus gives some clues as to why this is true. So Matthew 13, let's go there. We begin with the setting. There's a program right in your outline if you'd like to follow. Um, 
Matthew 13, verses 1 and 2, the setting. The same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Well, what's that all about? So just to get started into this story, this is the situation. Jesus was in a house. This is probably Peter's house, Peter and Andrew's house. Peter and Andrew own a fishing business on the Sea of Galilee. Peter and Andrew live in Capernaum. It's on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, that was Jesus' headquarters for over two years of his ministry. When they went to rest, when they, when they went to regroup, where did they go? They went to Capernaum. They went to Peter's house. The lake is the Sea of Galilee. It's really not much of a sea. It's just a little lake. It's only about 16 miles uh, wide and, and six, 16 or 17 miles long. And so the house was located on the northwest shore. Verse 2, such large crowds gathered around him in Capernaum that he got into a boat and sat in it while the people stood on the shore. Because of the large crowd, Jesus wanted to address this group, and so he saw fit to get on a boat. Peter had boats, Andrew had boats, James and John's had boats, and they're probably all right there anyway. And Peter, or Jesus just got into a boat... And he's probably not far off shore. And he turns around and he faces the crowd. And from what we understand, this is a cove. And this is like the ideal amphitheater. Scientists have gone there today to test this spot where Jesus might have been to see how good of amphitheater this would be. They said you could clearly hear Jesus from 100 yards in every direction on the land. That's not bad for no sound system. Jesus, pretty smart, was able to figure out how to communicate to these people. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it, and while the people stood on the shore. So we have a little map here, and uh, just to remind you, I'd like you to see what's happening in Scripture. So this is the land of Israel, the land on the right. Isn't it amazing that Google could go back 2,000 years and find these cities? It's pretty amazing. Mediterranean Sea on the left. It's really beautiful along the, the coast of Israel. So Jerusalem is like the capital of the Old Testament religion. It's, where, it's a big city. It's, it's where the temple was, just to see that on the map. The, the, the body of water down below is a Dead Sea. What connects the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee is the Jordan River. That's where John the Baptist baptized. A lot of baptisms took place there. You can see Nazareth, where Jesus grew up, and then Capernaum, North Shore. That's where this takes place. Jesus speaks to a large crowd. Number one, we go into the parable, verses 3 through 9. Let's look at the the parable, beginning at verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil, where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Here's the test. He who has ears, let him hear. Here's the test with this story. So, the parable. What is a parable? Well, thank you for asking. 
I love the classic definition. Parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a story of an everyday situation, an everyday event, an everyday circumstance with the, with the purpose of teaching spiritual truth. It's a concrete picture of an abstract spiritual reality. That's a parable. Um, what are the key elements of this parable in verses 3 through 9? Well, first of all, we have the farmer who was the sower of verse 3. He told them many things in parable. A farmer went out to sow. Very common sight in the land of Israel. Planting was usually done in the fall. The work was done by hand solely. You know, sometimes you have to remember how primitive this is. You know, they had like wooden utensils. If they had a plow, it was like wooden. If they had a rake to rake the soil, it was like wooden and homemade. The best they could do is scratch the surface to an inch to three inches if the, if the soil was kind of soft. So it's not like, you know, they got a, they're, they're digging a furrow a foot deep or anything like that, or they're turning over really much soil. And the main thing here is that they can only operate with what they can see on top. Uh, we see the seed in verse 3. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Uh, the kind of seed is not stated. Wheat is a very common crop uh, during this uh, time to, to be sown. The soil, and that's the key here, four types of soil, verses 4 through 9. The sower remains constant. The seed is constant. The variable in the story is only the soil. First, in verse 4, it's the hard-packed soil. First of all, in a field like this, the field would be cleared of debris and old, you know, old plants. It would be raked off, so it's pretty, pretty clear. Um, raked or, or plowed with wooden utensils, like the best they could do is that one to three inches. And then the seed was just thrown over uh, the, the entire field by hand, just flipping it out over the whole thing. And the outcome of the hard-packed soil was the birds took the seed. The soil was too hard. The seed just sat on top, and eventually the birds came and ate it. One thing that was very common for a field like this was there would be a path around the field, so you could walk around the field, and often there might be a path right through the middle of the field. It was a path. It was like a sidewalk. Um, they didn't really expect anything to grow on the path. It was so hard, but still they... When they sowed, they just threw the seed out. And sometimes the seed ended up on the hard path. They couldn't tell where the path ended for sure or not. It was just all looked the same when they were sowing. They really didn't care. As much as they could get to grow, great. But some of it was hard packed, and the birds took it. Verses 5 and 6 are rocky soil. Some fell in the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. Uh, one thing you find in Israel is, um, you can find it here too, I know you can find it in Texas, um, is under the surface you can find, find large sheets of limestone rock. For example, you could easily dig up a six by eight sheet of limestone that might be three inches thick, and it's just flat, and it's just under the surface. Unless you actually go out and dig it up, it's just going to lay there. So if you sow seeds on top, you can't tell it's underneath, and that seed will start growing. But guess what? It's not going to grow very deep because that limestone is right there. And the sun is just unbearable. And the sun just causes that little seed to grow, but then it kind of fries it right on the spot because there's no, no place to go deep, no, no moisture there on top of the rock. 
And the outcome is the plants were scorched and withered. Verse 7, the thorny soil, other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Again, the, sower, the, the top of the soil has been clean. You can't see what's underneath. You can't see other seeds that might be there, like thistles or like thorny bushes that are under, right under the surface. And so what happens is, it's often the other things that grow up faster than the seed that, that you hoped was going to grow. It grows up so fast, takes up the sun and the moisture, and it, uh, it chokes out the life of the, the seed sown in the thorny soil. And then we come to the good soil in verse 8. Still other f- seed fell in the good soil where it produced a crop, and it just multiplied 160 or 30 times. The out- outcome was awesome multiplication. The seed thrived, the seed multiplied, it had healthy growth. Same sower, same seed, different types of soil. Results are different. Same sower, same seed, the results relate to the soil. So next, Jesus punctuates the story with the challenge, whoever has an ears, whoever has ears, let him hear. So, like, check, you got ears? Anybody? Can you hear? All right, this is good. This is a test, because Jesus is teaching something extremely important. In fact, Jesus is teaching secrets, something that's never been revealed before. And he says, you who have ears, pay attention. Listen up. Do you hear? One of the things that, for us, when we think about hearing, it's about did you hear those words? Yes. Now, for the, uh, for the Jewish mind, for the, in, in ancient, for the Old Testament and, and first century Jews, Jewish mind, to hear means hear, I get it, I understand, but that's not enough. I am now going to do it. I heard. How can you tell you heard? Obedience. How can you tell? I, I heard it, and now I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. Now I'm going to do what God wants me to do. So this is the test. And that's going to be the test for uh, this whole parable. Okay, number two, the Q&A. The question and answer session, verses 10 through 17. The question comes in 10. This is a great thing about hanging out with Jesus. He allowed time for questions. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to people in parables? Uh, Jesus, why are you telling just cute stories? Can't you just tell it like it is? Can't you just make it be in black and white? And, um, but Jesus wanted his followers to ask. He wanted them to be curious. He wanted them to think. He wanted them to think about this stuff for a long time. He wanted them to think, well, what is this going to mean? Now, how do, what's the point? How, does this, how do we understand this? How do we apply this? And the answer comes in verses 11 through 17. First reason, Matthew 13, verse 11, he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets, there's the reason for the title of the whole series, the secrets of the kingdom, verse 11. Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Jesus is going to be revealing secrets never before revealed. Let me just take a minute and talk about kingdom stuff. In the Old Testament, 
there was a theocracy. Not a monarchy, a theocracy. What does that mean? God is in charge. Started with Adam and Eve, continued through the life life of Noah, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Joseph, and with Moses. And they even... They even carried around the Ark of the Covenant in the wilderness for 40 years because the king was present. God, the king of the universe, was present in their midst. And it was, a, it was something they were to honor. It was something they were to serve. And God led them, uh, fire by night, cloud by day. And the king was right in the middle of everything that happened. Yet... The Israelites, the Jewish people, wanted their own king. They wanted a human king. And so God gave them one. His name was Saul. And then, he, and then Saul didn't work out. And then David became king. And God made promises to David and to Solomon that one day there's going to be a king that's going to reign on this throne and he's going to reign forever. There's going to be a human king reign on the throne of David forever. We call him Messiah, the anointed one. A kingdom is coming. That has been the theme since... 2 Samuel 7. A kingdom is coming that is not yet. When Jesus came on the scene, he was telling everybody, the kingdom is near. The kingdom is present. The kingdom of God is at hand. Everything you've been waiting for is right here. And now he's going to reveal secrets of the kingdom not yet told before. It's not what people expected. Why? What were they expecting? Well, from the Old Testament, people picked out passages where the king was going to come and he was going to be a great conqueror, a great deliverer. He was going to throw off all the enemies. He was going to kill the enemies. And so they're looking for a great deliverer, a military leader, a king riding on a white horse that's going to come in like the Roman Empire and zap everybody. That's what they want. That's what the people want. That's the popular conception of the king. No, Jesus is the king and he's right there and he's going to start saying secrets about the kingdom. It's not going to be what they're expected. The kingdom is going to be secret. Can you see the kingdom right here? The kingdom is secret. Right now, it's a spiritual, invisible concept with power to change lives and to change people because God is establishing the kingdom of God. One day, the book of Revelation, there's going to be a future kingdom, an earthly kingdom, and an eternal kingdom, and Jesus is the king. But Jesus is beginning to communicate about a secret kingdom. Now, you know, you read this stuff and you say, oh, this is kind of interesting. This was amazing for the disciples. This is totally new stuff. Nobody has heard this before. Um, So, he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Secrets are the same word for secrets is mysteries. The mystery, the gospel was a mystery. The church was a mystery. The church is only part of the kingdom. It's in the kingdom, but it's only part of the kingdom. Uh, So, first reason that Jesus spoke in parables to reveal truth to Christ's followers. He was revealing truth to his disciples. He's revealing truth to us. It applies to us. He's revealing truth. Things about the kingdom that we need to understand new information. So, uh, second, second reason, verses 11 and 12, 
Uh, he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever will be given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. The second reason is to conceal truth from unbelievers. What do you think? This is something new. Sometimes it's kind of hard to understand. Whoever is given more, they will have an abundance. Um, it's kind of like this. Okay. You learn truth about who God is and who Jesus is. And you learn that Jesus died on the cross for you and that God wants you to respond back by believing in Jesus and being saved from the penalty of your sin and your sins are forgiven. You become a child of God and are given eternal life. That's all good. Guess what? You get more. You're given the Holy Spirit to understand. Not only that, you're given eternal life and an inheritance. You're a citizen of heaven and you're going to have it for eternity. You're going to get more. And it's going to be eternal. However, those who don't care, those who refuse it, whatever they have right now is going to be taken away. One day, there are going to be eternal consequences for that person. It's going to be taken away, what they have. One day, they will be eternally separated from God. Jesus called that hell, okay? So, another way to say it, there is a process that goes on when people reject the truth. You might call it a hardening process. You might say people become spiritually callous. Every time they reject something from God, they become more callous toward God. Okay? That's a principle that Jesus is talking about here. Third reason. Verses 13 through 15. Jesus said, this is why I speak to them in parables. So he's just going to say it here. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will, ne- you will ever be hearing, but n- never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For the people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. They are not interested in spiritual things. And... Um, the third reason is to fulfill pro- prophecy, Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. There is a prophecy fulfilled right on the spot when Jesus spoke these parables. Um, Jesus is talking about Israel, the Jewish people. In Isaiah, there was an attitude among God's people, and they were spiritually callous. And God says, you know what? I'm going to be speaking, and you're not going to get it. And then there was a prophecy about Jesus speaking parables. It got fulfilled right in the life of Jesus. You have to remember that the Jewish people were God's chosen people. Uh, they were set apart by God from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And then Moses was given the law. They were given God's word. They were promised the Messiah. They were given the land of Israel. And God said, I'm going to bless you if you obey me. And yet, they just kept, a large number of them just kept hardening their heart. God says, I'm going to reach a time where enough is enough, okay? And uh, Jesus is saying, is calling the shots right there. There is a hardening process. If you go and read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, 
it says that God will give people over after a time when they just continue to reject what God is giving them. Uh, Read Romans 9 through 11. God will let people's hearts grow callous. That's the third reason for the parables. He wants to instruct believers. Uh, He wants to conceal truth, and he wants to fulfill prophecy. The blessing comes in verses 16 through 17. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. It's not like the disciples are super smart. You know, they just get to hang out with Jesus, and they're learning from Jesus, and, and they're paying attention. And they're getting it. And, and Jesus says, you're blessed. To be blessed is to have favor with God. Jesus' disciples are blessed because what they know. And you know what? You are too. You are blessed for what you've been given. You are blessed because of the word of God. You are blessed because of what you understand. You are blessed by the grace that comes with the gospel of your salvation. Verse 17, for truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is amazing. And we just sit back and say, oh yeah, it's kind of interesting. Jesus said, there were people who, who studied the scriptures. There were prophets who were given the word of God, and they knew they were speaking for God, and they knew that something was going to happen great in the future, and they knew it was about Messiah, but they couldn't figure it out. They were waiting for this, and Jesus said, it's been given to you. You get it. Here I am. This is what's going on here. Um, let's go to First P- Peter chapter 1. First, First Peter. Uh, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care. Next slide. Trying to find out the time and the circumstances what the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Next slide. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, first century people. When they spoke of the things that they have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to see, look into those things. Even angels like to know what's going on here and the things that Jesus was revealing, the secrets right on the spot. Let's go back to that Matthew 13 right before this. Now Matthew 13 verse 9. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is a test. How do you hear spiritually? Do you understand what God says when you read the word? Do you understand what God expects of you? Do you understand when God speaks to you, when he nudges you, when he prompts you by the Holy Spirit to do something, to obey? What do you do with it? Are you prompted to obey, or you just sit back and evaluate? There's a warning that if you do not listen and do not obey, God will let your heart be callous. It's easy to change. It's to step forward and obey, and God will keep your heart soft. It's easy to change. Um... So, let's go to number three, the meaning of the parable, verses 18 through 23. First, the hard-packed soil. This is the spiritually hardened heart, verses 18 and 19. Listen then to the parable of the sower, what the parable of the sower means. 
So Jesus interprets. That's a great thing. You hang around Jesus, he interprets his own parables. Guess what? The crowd didn't get this. How is the crowd ever going to find out what was Jesus' teaching? Well, they have two choices. One, they go to Jesus and ask him the questions. They follow him around and ask. Or they go to the disciples. Because the disciples have the right information. They've got to go to the disciples and ask. In other words, if you seek the answers, you can find them. But if you don't care and you walk away, not good. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed along the path. The seed equals the message of the kingdom, the word of God. It includes the gospel of your salvation. That's the seed. That's what's sown. That doesn't change, okay? Again, Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The result, the evil one, Satan, blocks a message from this person's understanding. When someone is already callous toward Jesus and you share the gospel with them, there is a spiritual activity going on. It's secret. It's never been revealed before. There is a secret activity. It's a spiritual invisible activity. And Satan or his cohort, cohort of demons remove the truth. And they don't even think about it. From over a spiritually hardened heart toward God. That's a, there's a spiritual thing that happens. Next, the, um, well, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul uh, puts it this way. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, it's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What he's saying, Satan actually blinds people. It's more than just people who are stubborn. There's a spiritual activity going on, a blinding that, that is demonic. Can it be broken? Absolutely. We've been given weapons for that kind of warfare, and it is prayer, which will tear down strongholds that the enemy has built against the minds of people. That's why we pray. That's why we pray for Harvest America, because we want God to tear down strongholds that, that the enemy has built against the minds of people. People. Believe me, I know personally, I was totally blind to the gospel as a young adult. So I've experienced what it's like to be in the dark and all of a sudden to see the light. And my friends at work said, Kellen's seen the light, just because my life was changing. Things were getting totally different from darkness to light. Secondly, the rocky soil, the shallow heart, verses 20 and 21. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Sounds good, doesn't it? But you know what? This is only an emotional response to God's word. Excited about it? Haven't thought it through? Haven't thought through the implications? But since they have no root... They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. 
There's some excitement for a while, but when reality and life hits, hard times come and trouble comes, and at times in the history of the church, persecution comes, people fall away because they're not connected. They don't have the root. They don't have the foundation. Result, persecution or trouble drives this person away from the truth. Thirdly, the thorny soil, the stifled heart. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and make it unfruitful. This person has many masters. Jesus said you can't have two. Well, some people try to have two or three or four or six or eight or ten, and they worry about all of them. Jesus says, I'm the only one. And this person's heart is stifled. There's thorny soil. There's stuff in their lives, and they're just confused about what's important. Worries and materialistic focus stifles growth for this person. That's the result. Worry about their job. Worry about whether people like, like them. Uh, will I be happy? Worry about my health. Worry about my kids. Worry about my marriage. Uh, worry that stress is going to break me down. Worry that I won't have money at retirement. Worry about whether I can afford my next house or my next car or the clothes that I need or a new makeover or whatever. It's too much. Lastly, the good soil, the receptive heart, but the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. This is a spiritually healthy heart. The gospel germinates. It brings forth life and growth and fruit, spiritual fruit. You know, if you plant a seed of corn, what do you want? Well, you want ears of corn. That's multiplication. You plant a seed of wheat, what do you want? You want grains you, you, of corn. You want, you want multiplication. You want fruit. And Jesus says when you plant his word into, onto healthy hearts, then uh, growth happens and life happens and it multiplies. And uh, the plant thrives. The spiritual life thrives and, and bears the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22 and 23. And this multiplies and this gets shared with other people, and other people come to faith in Christ, and it's multiplied. That's how it works. And Jesus is saying, these are secrets. Never been told before. This is how the gospel will spread secretly. There's going to be fruit. There's going to be, it's about people's hearts. Now, let me just stop and say, this is not, this, do not try to figure out, do not worry about, it. is this person saved or is this the person not saved? This is not what Jesus is teaching. This is not the doctrine of salvation. This is how people respond to God's word. By the way, the first three are not an option for Jesus. He's only after number four, the healthy heart. A fully devoted follower of Christ. That's what he's after. Don't even worry about, is the first one a Christian? No, probably not. Second one a Christian? Maybe. Third one a Christian? Maybe. That's not the issue. The issue is your heart. How do you respond to God? Um, so, here's some key observations. The sower is Jesus, and then his disciples then are going to take his teaching, the words of the kingdom, and he, they're going to teach it all the way down to us. And now we teach now we share the word of God. Now we share the gospel of our salvation. It applies to us. Um, 
The seed is the word of God. Does not change. Has not changed since the time of Jesus. The soil refers to human hearts. Here's some implications. People are going to respond differently. Please know that. We're coming up to Harvest America. People are going to respond differently. Please understand that. Some people are spiritually callous. What would Jesus say? Go ahead and sow the seed. Some of us just pull away. I don't want to talk to people who are callous. Just go ahead and sow the seed. Some are shallow. They will not put down roots. Go ahead and sow the seed. Uh, Some have divided minds. They're all over the board with their desires. Just go ahead and sow the seed. Some are ready to blossom and grow and multiply. You must sow the seed. And we need to find them. Go ahead and sow the seed. However, remember this warning. If you disregard God's voice, he will let you become callous. This is serious. Maybe you're a follower of Christ. You know you're going to heaven. Awesome. That's fantastic. Don't play games with God. Um, If you disregard when God speaks to you, he can just pull back. He can let you be what you want to be. He can let this callous grow over your heart. You might be a citizen of heaven and yet have a callous heart. And God will just pull back. It's not a good place to be. Um, So, what heart describes you? The totally spiritually callous, the hard road, not interested spiritually, that's one. Um, Maybe it's the uh, spiritually shallow, you know, with a rock underneath, can't can't go deep. Shallow. The spiritually divided, you got all kinds of things on your plate. And you can't seem to sort it out with God or spiritually healthy. Um, and it, you know what? You can, you can change if you want to by stepping out to obey God when he speaks to you. If he wants you to ask for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness. If he wants you to work on your marriage, work on your marriage. If he wants you to work on your parenting, work on your parenting. If he wants you to work on your speech, you work on your speech. If he wants you to share the gospel with somebody, you share the gospel. It's about responding to him. Where is your heart? We have a picture in our home. Um, It's called The Sower. It was painted by Vincent Van Gogh. He painted this in 1888. And one of the reasons that it we like it at our house. So if you ever come to our house, you'll find it in some room. I always have to check and see which room it's in because it gets moved a lot. But the sower is a reminder. This is the sower at sunset. He's out working, but time is running out. It's a reminder to us that time is running out. We will not be able to do this forever. You will not be able to do this forever. How important is this? How important is this to you to get the message out, to get the word of God out? And how important it is to you to, to how you respond to God? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, 
the secrets that Jesus shared in Matthew 13, and as we continue to look at them these next couple of weeks. Father, I know you're concerned about our hearts. You want us to be spiritually healthy. You want us to be sensitive. You want us to listen to your heart. You want us to grow and thrive as Christ followers, and you want to use us. Father, give us ears to hear right now. And may we respond to you with sensitivity and humility and a desire to say, yes, God, whatever you want. In Jesus' name, amen.